Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the Heartland After Dark podcast. My name is Joe Tillery. I am joined by my co-host, Derek Duke, and I got to get out of the way right now. I was at a wedding this past weekend, so that is why my voice is faint to virtually a no-show, but either way, I am still going to try to power through because we've got some good games to talk about. Derek, how was your weekend? How you doing, my friend? Oh, good weekend. Uh, just got back from uh, Florida last Thursday and got uh, got back just in time for that uh, Kansas State-Oklahoma State game. So it's uh, been pretty good. Don't go back to work till Tuesday, so I'm all good. That's a good thing to hear, but I do have to say this. As your boy, you know, tore up the vocal cords this weekend, I am rocking some jasmine tea here on my left, some hot jasmine tea, as well as an ice cold White Claw, not mixed in the worst mixed drink of all time, but two individual entities here. How about you? What do you have next to you? I am actually uh, back on the whiskey. The The weather here is getting a little bit cooler here in South Texas, so I, I went to the uh, old bourbon cabinet and got some just some classic Buffalo Trace bourbon here to, to enjoy tonight. Cannot go wrong with Buffalo Trace whatsoever, but I do want to start here. Oklahoma and Texas, top 10 matchup, an incredible game, one of the best of the weekend. We had it on. We were kind of going between you know rehearsal dinner and all the different things, but either way, we made time for it to see the Oklahoma Sooners take on the Texas Longhorns. Derek, what do you think about this game? Man, it's not often a game lives up to the hype, um, but this one certainly did. I mean, if this ends up being the last uh, Big 12 game between these two teams, then kudos because it was a hell of a game. Uh, just It was back and forth throughout the game. Uh, until the very end, you had no idea who was going to win it at all, and just – it's a classic game that probably is up there with maybe, you know, 2021 was a pretty good one with that large comeback by Oklahoma. And then I think this one's just a little bit better because it's just more evenly matched across the board. Um, I guess to start with the winning team here with the Sooners, I mean, defensively, I thought they dominated the line of scrimmage, which is pretty uh, funny to say, because I thought Texas was going to be the better team up front and, Oklahoma showed me otherwise because uh, on the offensive line, they were good. On the defensive line in particular, they're extremely good. They sacked Quinn Ewers, I believe, like five or six times in this ball game. had a ton of tackles for loss. Texas couldn't really get anything going uh, between the tackles. And, you know, credit to Oklahoma. They got after Quinn Ewers a lot in the passing game. So uh, defensively, they're also able to get three turnovers. That was really big in this game. Uh, but what surprised me most about Oklahoma, as good as the defense did play and the questions were really about the offense, and I think Dylan Gabriel really silenced his critics uh, on Saturday at the Cotton Bowl because in key moments, anytime their backs were this offense had their back against the wall, Dylan Gabriel just marched the marched it right down the field and got the job done, got points. You know, in the set in the first half, at the end of the first half, Oklahoma had just I think a little less than two minutes left, and they just drove it right down the field, and if not for a drop pass. Oklahoma would have scored a touchdown right before the half, but uh, they had to settle for three. And then, you know, down three uh, with just a little over a minute to play, they go 75 yards in just five plays, and they score in just a little over a minute. Um, it was just, it was, it was almost like it was effortless out there for Gabriel. And so that, for that, for me, was a really, really good thing to see. And as crazy as it may sound, I think Dylan Gabriel should probably belong in the Heisman conversation now after a performance like that. Uh, we'll, obviously, we'll see how things continue to shake out. For Oklahoma, this was a program-defining win, uh, not just for the program, for Brent Venables as a head coach, too, because this is something for me that 
Oklahoma, I thought was going to be more of a still a kind of a work in progress this year, and they have really turned the corner and just year two under Brent Venables. So uh, this team is definitely a Big 12 championship uh, worthy, in my opinion. Uh, as for Texas, just played a great game. I think overall, Jonathan Brooks uh, really stood out to me offensively, of course, um, as he should. He's the Big 12's leading rusher. But too many turnovers. Uh, Quinn Ewers, two picks early in the game, then had a bad fumble. Texas had a lot of missed opportunities here. You know, there was a time in, where they were on the one-yard line and they used four downs and they couldn't move the ball a single inch. Um, so there were just some really bad things for Texas in this game, some missed opportunities, I guess I should say. And then at the end there, I didn't really understand the prevent defense. Anytime you go prevent defense, you're really preventing yourself to win, as I would like to say. So for me, I didn't like their defensive strategy at all at the end of the at the end of the game. I thought they should have brought more pressure on Gabriel. Instead, they decided to sit, sit back and they got absolutely picked apart. So between that, the turnovers, and, and that one drive in particular, like I mentioned, with the uh, they got four tries to punch it in, they couldn't do it. So just a lot of missed opportunities for Texas. Uh, you know, if you're a Texas fan, I guess your hope is that you know the, you can meet them in Arlington uh, for a lot more on the line. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to disagree with anything you said there. I think uh, I'm going to get out of the way. I'll probably keep my my thoughts pretty short and sweet just to to limit my voice crack factor here. But, I mean, you saw it. This was the Dylan Gabriel coming out party. You know, if you haven't seen it beforehand, like, there's been a lot of conversation. Hey, Quinn Ewers, legitimate Heisman, Heisman candidate. This is the dude in the Big 12. There's been conversations about Jalen Daniels in a similar light of this dude could be the guy. Big 12 Offensive Preseason Player of the Year for a reason. Dylan Gabriel went out there and said, okay, everybody needs to be paying attention to me because, you know, we mentioned it last week in the podcast. There's a weird amount of people that were anti Dylan Gabriel, not even necessarily anti Gabriel, but just seeing that he leaves a lot to be desired in their eyes. And this was not that, I mean, the guy ran for over hundred yards threw for more than two fifty. He looked good. He did just enough. And that last drive was flawless. I mean, that is a game winners drive. That was incredible to be a part of. I mean, for Texas, I don't really have any negative takeaways. Obviously, you got to be more careful with the football, but with where these two teams are right now, this does look like, you know, a future rematch in Arlington. We still have some time to figure that out, but all signs are pointed that road. I think that's what you see, and the rankings reflect that. I mean, Oklahoma jumped, I believe, from 12th, if I'm not mistaken, to 5th in the AP poll. Texas drops out down to number 9, but still a top-10 team in the country. These were two great games, or these were two great teams playing an all-time historic matchup in the final Red River rivalry as members of the Big 12. It was incredible to watch. Now jumping over, you mentioned flying back in time for this game. The other Oklahoma school, we had Oklahoma State winning one of the most surprising games of the weekend over the Kansas State Wildcats. Derek, what did you take away from this game? Classic Mike Gundy game. I mean, just when you think that Oklahoma State's down and out, um, they, they, you know, he pulls one out of his rear end uh, and beats a beats a team that he was. I think they were down. I think they were Kansas State was favored by double digits uh, going into this one. Twelve and a half. Yeah, I mean, just insane. That just kind of speaks to what Mike Gundy has been able to do. And you know, maybe they use that that bye week that they had before this one to to work on some things. But I thought they looked like a completely different football team, particularly on the defensive side. I didn't see a bunch of missed tackles like we've talked about before. They were able to get a lot of key takeaways, had a pick six in this game. So defensively, a lot of things really uh, went right for them, and I thought they definitely turned a corner there. As far as the offense goes, I don't know if they really impressed me as much as the defense because I think they were put in some really good spots thanks to their defense. 
but again, it's finally nice to see them settle on a quarterback, and that's what they did with Alan Bowman. He didn't do anything flashy in this game, threw for 235 yards, didn't throw a touchdown, but most importantly, he didn't turn the football over either. So he's kind of just managing the offense, and right now maybe that's just kind of what Oklahoma State needs to do if they're going to you know, play like this. But another thing I really liked to uh, enjoyed seeing was giving Ollie Gordon 21 carries in this game. He got 136 yards and got a score, had that sweet st- uh, stiff arm. Uh, as we all saw. So there were some really good positives for Oklahoma State. And th- this was really a much needed bounce back win for them. They needed this. You know, I don't I'm not I don't think by any means Oklahoma State's uh, a Big 12 title contender. But this is one of those games you look at if, if Oklahoma State's able to get to six wins. You know, this is going to be one of those you kind of look back at and say, yeah, that, that really helped them get to that bowl game or whatever it may be. But Again, classic, classic Mike Gundy game, man. And, and weird things happen in Stillwater. It was a, it's a Friday night game. So I think they said that was like the first Friday night game. And I don't know how many decades it was. So very weird uh, sold out stadium. It was a blackout. So very cool uh, scene in Stillwater and happy that the, the fans showed up for this one. And the team definitely uh, gave the fans something to cheer about. Definitely. I mean, it was a great game to watch. Obviously, confusing you know you had the favorites kansas state listed as 12 and a half point favorites did anybody expect this to be you know dominated by oklahoma state i don't think so i mean not even oklahoma state fans are really predicting this but talk about momentum for both programs oklahoma state down in their luck everything's looking bad quarterback rotation a lot of questions everywhere on the roster arguably the worst offense and worst defense in the big 12 conference through the first chunk of games we've seen They go out there and take down the Big 12 defending champions in Kansas State. In K-State at this point, building a lot of momentum. You know, there's a lot of good things ahead where people are looking at this program, as well as, you know, teams like Kansas and I would say UCF, but they've kind of had a bad stretch of things, which we'll talk about here in a minute, but teams that could compete down the road for Arlington. This game was an absolute reversal of that. I mean, K-State did not look good in this game. They didn't handle the football well, and that takes a ton of momentum away from your team. You know, Chris Kleiman mentioned in postgame and said, hey, we are not a good football team right now. And I can't dispute that. I mean, these dudes looked just defeated completely. So whether that be, you know, the Stillwater kind of mumbo jumbo home field magic, like it was a crazy environment. There's something weird about Stillwater that I know I wouldn't want to go play in anytime soon, but it was on full display. You know, for everyone that tuned in on Friday night, I know there's only two games, one of those being I think Nebraska. I can't tell you who they were playing. But two big Friday night games, Kansas State getting beat down by Oklahoma State. That was a big question mark. But what a game for Mike Gundy. I mean, that solidifies a lot of debates around you and the rest of the program. But moving on to the next one here, we've got Iowa State TCU. Derek, I'll let you jump in on that. Well, I guess I want to start by saying in this one, um, what Iowa State did to uh, honor Jack, the 100th year anniversary of Jack Trice was pretty cool. Um from the midfield logos to the jerseys that they wore, although I will say on television it did look like they weren't wearing pants due to the tan colored pants, but <laughs> it's uh, I guess it's whatever. It's still a pretty cool thing to to honor them, and I wish I want to say that I do kind of hope that they kind of make this a yearly thing and not just an every so every now and then kind of thing. So, um, with that said, Iowa State uh, definitely honored Jack Trice the right way because they played one heck of a ball game. And particularly on the ground, and this is a team that we've talked about multiple times that has really struggled to run the football. They kind of turned to more of this uh, pass-first kind of offense over the last few weeks that we've seen from them. But 
in this game, it was all about the run game because Iowa State ran the ball for over 200 yards, averaged almost six yards per carry. Uh, Eli Sanders and Abu Sama did a great, fantastic job. And I really want to give credit to the offensive line. There are some screenshots I took um, about this game, and I was just showing people how big these running lanes were. I mean, you could drive 18 wheelers to some of the lanes that they were running through. Mm -hmm. So really good credit to the offensive line. And not only that, it was something that Iowa State really – they didn't run the ball particularly well early in the game, but as the game went on, I felt like that offensive line really wore down the TCU front, and for me, that's what really did it. And also credit to Iowa State's defense. They got a few key takeaways in this game and made some uh, some key stops early. So for me, this was a really good uh, – probably one of the best – maybe the best win, I would probably say, for Iowa State this season. I felt – it was one that you felt really good about, that they played kind of that complete game. And – these are the kind of games that they're going to have to win. These scores are like the 27-14, whether it's going to be you know, 21-14, you know, somewhere in the 20 to 30 range, I feel like, where Iowa State's good enough to win because that defense uh, can definitely – is it capable of holding opponents under three, uh, 21 points, I should say. But uh, solid job by Iowa State. As for TCU, just more confusion, I guess you would say. There was just so many bad things for TCU, and it just seemed like last week, you know, I, I talked about them mismanaging the clock. And, and on Saturday, it was really special teams breakdowns, particularly on the punt team. I mean, they had a punt blocked with just like 16 seconds back in their own end zone, put Iowa State in great field position. And then later in the game, they're backed up. I think they're on their own 12-yard line, and they kick a 26-yard punt to give Iowa State great field position and the Cyclones end up scoring on that. So TCU, once again, really shoot, shot themselves in the foot a lot here. Uh, most importantly, the thing to keep an eye on here is going to be the health of Chandler Morris. He went down in the, in the third quarter due to an injury. Josh Hoover had to step in. And, you know, while he, I'm sure he's a capable backup or whatever it may be, but he just could not get this offense moving against a good Iowa State defense. So for TCU, the health of Chandler Morris is going to be something to, to really watch out for because – if Chandler Morris is not healthy, um, I'm not sure if TCU is a bowl team at this point. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if there's many signs that would point that way if, you know, Morris misses an extended amount of time. But, you know, I mentioned this in this week's takeaways on Friday. I talked about how quarterback injuries have affected just about every team in the league. And I know that, you know, it's football injuries happen, but the list of names that have been already, you know, either sidelined with an injury, missed time, or just had to play through an injury this season at the quarterback position is wild. And I wrote about this on Friday. Let me, let me read you some of these names here. And I will start this by saying Chandler Morris added to the list. Listen to this. So you start off, I mean, in no particular order, I would say, but you have Jalen Daniels goes down, obviously re reinjures his back. Tyler shock. Oh, excuse me. Ooh, that was a bad one. We're working through it. Texas Tech's quarterback, Tyler shock. Will Howard hurts his ankle. Blake Shapin misses time. Garrett green, John Reese Plumley. You've got more and more guys getting banged up, and that's going to be the biggest thing to watch. I mean, Iowa State, commanding win, and they really did do great things up front, as well as honoring Jack Trice in a great way. But that injury to Chandler Morris is going to be the main takeaway to follow, I would say, from that game. But moving on to another matchup of strange teams in their own right, Texas Tech taking on Baylor. Kind of a one-sided affair in this. Didn't know what to fully expect in this game. But, Derek, what do you think about Texas Tech and Baylor? Absolute domination, and that's something we have talked about um, whenever a team plays Baylor for a couple weeks now. Um, Texas Tech just came in and absolutely dominated Baylor, uh, particularly on the line of scrimmage. Um, 
much like Iowa State, they didn't have to do uh, do really anything in the passing game. I mean, Morton did throw t- three touchdown passes, which was really good. But for me, this game was one on the ground up front on the line of scrimmage because Taj Brooks went off for 170 yards in the score. Uh, Baylor wanted no part of tackling Taj Brooks, and that was pretty evident early on in this game. And and to Zach Kiteley, the offensive coordinator, to his credit, they just kept feeding him and feeding him. And I thought that's something that they kind of shied away from in, earlier in the season. Uh, but for Texas Tech to run the football 42 times, that's a stat you don't often see uh, from this offense. So that was really refreshing to see. And credit, like once again, credit to another offensive line here because I thought Tech did an outstanding job against the Baylor front. They really wore them down as the game went on. Uh, so for me, that was kind of my takeaway for Tech. Um, I guess I will say on defensively for Texas Tech, it was kind of much of the same thing. It was more about the defensive front for Texas Tech dominating Baylor's offensive line. I mean, they got pressure on Blake Shapin consistently throughout the game. They sacked him six times, had 11 tackles for loss. I mean, Texas Tech was just all over Baylor up front. And for me to sit here and say, you know, looking back, I guess, going two years when Baylor made that run, you know, that I would say like a team like Texas Tech would just out physical a team like Baylor on both sides of the line of scrimmage. Not something I would be really thinking about, I guess, or something I I guess you would say on my bingo card that I would have uh, going into this year. So really surprising to see that. Um, As for Baylor, man, it is – I'm almost speechless when it comes to Baylor. I mean, if not for that miracle comeback last week against UCF, this team is 1-5, and 0-3 in conference play, zero hope of probably making a bowl game, which, in fact, they still might be uh, regardless, even as I sit here with two wins. Uh, I am not going to put this game on Blake shape, and I thought he actually did went out there and did a decent job with what he had. Um, Baylor could not run the football. As I mentioned, they were dominated up front. Listen to this, Joe. Baylor ran the ball 30 times. They got 17 yards, averaging 0.6 yards per carry. Oh, my. I mean, that is it, – it's pathetic. <laughs> There's no way to, uh, wow. way to put it. Uh, I mean, outside of one play for se- – I think they went for 70-something yards to Monterey Baldwin. This offense absolutely did nothing. And I mentioned earlier, defensively, they wanted no part of tackling Taj Brooks on the other side. So, for me, this was just – I don't know. It, it's like – Baylor's not only finding ways to lose get ball games, but the way that they are doing it, they are just they're literally getting their butt kicked. Like when they lose games, they don't lose close. They don't play teams close. When they lose, they are getting absolutely manhandled. And some something's got to change for this team. Um, it, I don't know what it is. I don't know if they have to change the coordinators defensively, offensively, but something's got to change because it, we Dave Aranda can't sit here and, and hope to make a bowl game again for the second year in a row. That, that's just not going to cut it in Waco. And, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen for the rest of the year, but I don't really see Baylor turning things around uh, at all. This is another team that is going to be very lucky if they can even get to maybe five wins. Forget about six wins. I don't even see this team getting to five wins. But something's got to change for Baylor. Um, just absolutely atrocious play uh, just on all sides of the ball. Even special teams was bad. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to stay with Baylor as well. They are not a good football team right now. And, you know, you see the comeback win against UCF, and even that's kind of, you know, not necessarily a question mark, but obviously UCF has not looked like what they are capable of through this point. But looking at their schedule, they've got winnable games on their schedule, but I don't have any faith in wins on these games. Like it used to be where if I looked at the remainder of the schedule, I'd say, you know what, 
they could find three or four wins in this stretch of games. But let me read this to you. Each game, you know, there's maybe one or two where you're like, okay, 60% of me feels great about that. The rest, I have no idea. They've got Cincinnati. That's a winnable game. You can win that game. It is at Nippert from what I see. I don't know if it's a night game or not, but it is at Cincinnati. Iowa State. Iowa State looks like a better football team right now. Houston, that's a winnable game. Kansas State, we don't really know what they're like, but you know it's not a game I feel good about for Baylor. TCU, similar thing. Don't know what's happening with Chandler Morris. And then you have West Virginia to close out the season. There are two or three winnable games on that schedule, but Dave Aranda has given me zero confidence in the team to handle that task. You know, Blake Shapin looks sharp, and I'll give him credit for that, but you can't win football games with an inability to run the football. That is like, you know, rule number one to win games in the Big 12. And, you know, Joe, credit, let me uh, yeah, let me yeah. ask you something real quick. I, you know, I pulled up a stat here that I found pretty interesting. In the Baylor's last 10 games, would you want to guess their record dating back to last season? Oh, I mean, it can't be more than, I don't know, four, I mean, four and six, maybe. Try two five and eight. And five. Oh, two and eight. something has to change. Two and eight in that stretch. And I know that you give people the benefit of the doubt after winning a Big 12 title. Dave Aranda obviously climbs the mountaintop in 21, but something has to change. And I'm not saying fire Dave Aranda, but something on this team needs to change. And you mentioned it. It cannot stay this way. You will not get to five wins this season if everything stays the same. Baylor is not looking great with where they're at right now. But let's jump to the final game of the weekend. Kansas and UCF. Talk about a one-sided affair in this one as well. What did you think about the Jayhawks taking on the Knights? Absolutely shocked. Um, I don't know if I was more shocked at this UCF result that or the one that they had against Baylor. Um, definitely did not see this coming. Uh, on Friday night, it was announced that uh, John Reese Plumley was going to get the start in this game. So I actually had some hope for UCF here. I thought maybe they had a chance to win because I knew uh, that Jalen Daniels was going to be out. But it turns out I don't even think Kansas needed a quarterback at all. They just needed somebody to hand the ball off to Devin Neal or Daniel Hyshaw <laughs> Jr. Because Kansas rushed for 399 yards and had rushed for five touchdowns, averaged 7.8 yards per carry. Uh, I think I read a stat, you know, on Saturday saying that uh, Neil and Highshaw Jr. were the first Kansas duo to run for over 130 yards in a game since like 1995. Jeez. Um, so there were just some ridiculous rushing records broken uh, on Saturday against UCF. And, and you know, I must got once again got to give credit to another offensive line here because I thought Kansas did a great job up front. Um, for you know, hopefully. Jalen Daniels is going to get healthy at some point this year. Um, luckily, they didn't really need him, I guess, because all they had to do was hand the football off here. But uh, that's going to be definitely something uh, of interest to keep an eye on because I think Kansas is going to be one of those teams. You know, if Jalen Daniels is healthy, maybe they're one of those top three or four teams in the Big 12. Uh, I'm just not too sure yet because they're kind of in a cluster of teams now with one conference loss. But the health of Jalen Daniels is very important for Kansas. As for UCF, um, uh, you know, they talked about, Reece, you know, John Reese Plumley getting the start, and I was excited for that. But once I saw – I think I saw maybe two plays of him, and, and in those first two plays I was like, yeah, something's not right with him. And he was definitely limping around still. He was not healthy. You know, I don't even think – Joe, I don't even think he was 50% healthy with the way I saw him. Mm -hmm. So that was really discouraging to see. And 
I also kind of want to question the staff of who thought it was maybe even a good idea to bring him out there because, you know, I'm sure if somebody's watching him in warm-ups, there's no way he'd look good enough to play in this game. And uh, obviously he didn't. Um, Timmy McLean had to come in, and unfortunately he, he just wasn't able to get anything going against a good Kansas defense. And that's another uh, thing I forgot to mention, that Kansas is playing a lot better defensively, which is really good to see. But uh, UCF was actually shut out for the first time at halftime, I think since like 2015. So a lot of a lot of bad records being broken uh, for UCF uh, the last two weeks, but not good. And I mentioned earlier, they defensively UCF had no answer uh, for the Kansas. Man, run. sorry to jump in. I'm cutting it. Yeah, I sure. cannot get over these rushing stats. It's ridiculous. And I'd ask you this: obviously, we know Kansas is good at rushing the football. They've got great running backs. You know, Jason Bean's athletic. Is this UCF team like the worst rushing defense of all time? Because they are just getting constant yards put on them in the rushing attack. I definitely think so. And that's something I noticed, uh, you know, in the Baylor game. I know Baylor didn't necessarily rack up the stack sheet, but Baylor was committed to running the football and UCF really had no answer for it. So I think it's no secret when you play UCF what you're gonna what your game plan is gonna be offensively because you're just gonna meet them at the point of attack and you're just gonna run them over because every team so far that they faced for the most part has ran the football really well against them. So until that changes, uh, it's gonna be pretty clear what teams teams in this conference are gonna do yeah. to them. Um, but uh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Joe. I think I think you know I've seen enough of UCF. <laughs> yeah, I mean at this point, you know they're they're gifting offensive player of the week performances to every opposing running back. You know, in the opener, you had DJ Giddens go for four touchdowns and 200 plus yards. You know, you then have Baylor go out there and play a heck of a game and have multiple running backs looking effective. I mean, Devin Neal, Daniel Highshaw, even the other kid that came in, uh, McDuffie, I can't remember, uh, Dylan McDuffie, I believe. You know, they had everyone that touched the football could rush for positive yards. And that is a test. Let me set, shout this out. This is a test to Kansas's improvement on the offensive line, and the defensive line obviously doesn't affect the rushing attack in this sense. But they have done such a good job of developing that program into a legitimate, fearful attack. Like you don't really want to scheme against Kansas's offense. Like that's a legitimate thing we're saying in 2023, and you continue to see that. Granted, UCF. I mean, what just an absolute shock! Not to say that they were going to be a Big 12 title contender. But I don't think anybody had on their bingo card saying that BYU would be the best of the four schools coming to the new conference. You know, UCF had kind of unanimously been, and they will continue to be looked at and said, you know what, this team can get there. They've got recruiting. They've got good things going on. But that was a statement win for Kansas. Getting back into the top 25, you're now ranked 23rd, and you position yourself as, you know, even with Jason Bean, as a third or fourth best team in the Big 12 Conference right now. Obviously, there's a lot of question marks across the board, but that's a legitimate thing to talk about. Let me ask you for some overall thoughts on the weekend. What did you think about everything we saw this weekend? I think for me it's two things. Uh, the first one was it was underdog weekend because all the underdogs pretty much won the, these games. I mean, um, you had Oklahoma State, uh, double-digit underdog. You had Iowa State as a, uh, win, winning as an underdog. Uh, Oklahoma winning as an underdog. Uh, probably missing somebody else here. I think uh, – I think – Baylor was actually favored, and so you had Texas Tech winning as an underdog. Um, I don't remember the line for Kansas, uh, but anyways, but it just insanity. And we talked about it last week. I, I mentioned uh, fall madness, and I think 
that that is definitely in full swing right now because this this conference is an absolute meat grinder and it's it seems like you know it should be easier to figure out as the weeks go on but i feel like we're almost left scratching our head and uh i'll turn this to you here and i gotta maybe ask you because i'm having trouble i don't know outside of texas and oklahoma who are still probably clear favorites to get to arlington who is that third team in your mind that is the best you know who's the third best team in the big 12 right now you know that is a great question because that's kind of my main takeaway i mean oklahoma and texas are so far ahead of the rest of the field right now and that's just i mean it's a weird reality to say in the final season of big 12 football for the pair but there is a massive jump however that isn't just because of skilled players or coaching or anything like that. It's, I mean, there are so many question marks in this league. Kansas on paper looks like that third option, but I mean, then you have a team like Kansas state where, you know, they're one year removed from the big 12 title. Granted, you see what happened with Baylor, you know, that's not a set in stone repeat thing, but there's teams like West Virginia that I think are absolutely sneaky. Now, do I think that West Virginia can get a team like Texas or Oklahoma to play their style of football? No. However, you know, you give me West Virginia, in 64 degree weather, cloudy skies. It might be a slightly closer game than most expect. You know, I don't know whether it be Kansas, West Virginia, or really any of the, you know, question mark teams I'd say for the list. But I think if I had to put my money down right now, I'd say Kansas, just based off the fact that I don't know if West Virginia could scheme Texas or Oklahoma to play that style of football. Because West Virginia wins games, but it is in West Virginia style. And both those two teams are just, they're very, very talented on offense, which, could provide, could provide some problems, excuse me. But I think if I were a betting man, I'd say Kansas right now. But then again, you know, talking about some of the craziness in the Big 12, let me tie this into some opening lines for Week 7. If you gave me any of these lines, I would tell you I know nothing about football. Starting off here, West Virginia on the road. West Virginia favored by two at Houston. By two points at Houston. And we'll talk about these a little bit later, but let me move on. Iowa State at Cincinnati. Cincinnati is favored by five. BYU at TCU, TCU favored by five. Quarterback, don't know what's going on there. Kansas at Oklahoma State, Kansas favored by one. One point at Oklahoma State. Kansas State, Texas Tech, the one line that you know makes the most sense, I would say, at this point. Texas Tech minus one. That game's in Lubbock. Those are some wild numbers based off what we just saw. I would start this with you. You know, we can go pick by pick, but there is so much parity in this league that I don't even know where to start. But that being said, we will jump in on our week seven picks here. West Virginia minus two at Houston. Derek, I will give the floor to you for this one. Uh, <laughs> I feel like this spread should be at least seven, maybe up to ten. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand, you know, we talked about West Virginia playing that kind of their own brand of football. It's a little bit slow and methodical. Um, with that said, there's no way Houston keeps it within two points. I, that's to me, that's an easy West Virginia cover. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to dispute that. It doesn't matter if they played this game in, you know, a CVS parking lot. West Virginia is such a better team than Houston. And I've been wrong before. I thought Kansas state was miles better than Oklahoma state. Look at that worked out last week. I will also take West Virginia. I don't think there's any justification outside of like my main point. If I did choose Houston to pack it up is like, it could technically happen. And that's not something I really want to bet on in that sense. Iowa State at Cincinnati. Cincinnati minus five in that game. I think the home field aspect is important. But Iowa State is a better team here. They've got a better defense. 
look like they're figuring out some things in the rushing attack and with the offensive lineman up front. I'll take Iowa State plus five at Cincinnati. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of in the same boat, Joe. I mean, Iowa State definitely going to win this game, definitely going to cover. I don't – Cincinnati to me is kind of like a, a different version of Houston, I guess, maybe a little bit better version of Houston. But with the way – what I've seen uh, from Iowa State over the last couple games, I'm taking the Cyclones. Yeah, I agree. This one might have a bit of a curveball here. I'm interested to hear your thoughts. BYU at TCU, that game is in Dallas, or excuse me, in Fort Worth. TCU favored by five points in this game. We don't know what the quarterback situation is, but likely Chandler Morris will miss this game. I could be wrong, but I feel like that's what most of the reports have generally accepted. What do you think about TCU favored by five, BYU on the road for that game? Forget about the spread. You you got to take BYU out right here to win the game. Uh, mm. To me, that that's the that's the play here. Maybe the play of the week here. Um, you know, we mentioned it already. The health of Chandler Morris, I think, still up in the air uh, right now as this line sits. If you're going to jump on it, jump on it early. I would probably say uh, because I, I don't know I, the injury to me looked pretty serious. I don't I don't know how how bad it actually is, but I definitely don't think he's going to be back for this one. Uh, I don't have a ton of confidence in BYU, especially going on the road in Fort Worth. But with the way TCU has looked over the last two weeks, I don't know how you wouldn't take BYU here. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely the consensus. And You know, you mentioned money line. That's definitely the play. I mean, this is a team that's capable of winning. TCU, nobody knows what's going to happen, especially with the quarterback situation. And they're not operating, you know, nearly where we thought they could this season. I think BYU, I'm going to roll with them as well. Kansas minus one at Oklahoma State. Stillwater is impossible to play in, but Kansas looks good. I'm going to leave it at that. Give me Kansas minus one on the road in Stillwater. What do you think, Derek? I, to me, this is kind of going to go back to what I said last week uh, going into the UCF game. What is going to be the health of Jalen Daniels? Mm -hmm. If Jalen Daniels is healthy, 100% ready to play, I will have no problem taking Kansas. However, if it is Jason Bean starting on the road in Stillwater, I'm actually going to roll with the Cowboys. So I, I guess I could put an asterisk by that one. You know, hearing you say that immediately makes me think about my pick a little bit, but I will stay with Kansas. Hearing Jason Bean on the road in Stillwater, I will still roll with Kansas, but I am cautiously optimistic. Rounding it out, Kansas State at Texas Tech, the Red Raiders favored by one. What do you think about that game, Derek, to round things out here? Probably the toughest game to pick uh, out of the week. I guess it's almost really a toss-up here. Uh, anytime a home team is favored by, like, less than three, it's just essentially a toss-up. But I don't know. I, I You know, Texas Tech is playing better football. They are running the ball well. But I think Kansas State's very well-equipped uh, to stop something like that. And I don't know if I trust Barron Morton yet to just sling it all, you know, all over the yard uh, against Kansas State. I do know Texas. It's this game's in Lubbock, but I think I'm going to take Kansas State here because they they're, they're going to definitely need a bounce back win. I think they definitely get that uh, this weekend in Lubbock. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that there is definitely a good argument to be made for Texas Tech, and a good chunk of me thinks that they could win this game. But I read something last week talking about Chris Kleiman versus Mike Gundy in last week's matchup, and Kleiman was three and six, now three and seven following bye weeks in his entire coaching career at, you know, both North Dakota State and Kansas State. The bye week is not where the guy hits his stride. I think the bounce back game is, you know, what Chris Klum is known for. I will go Kansas State and I'll just go money line because the one point, you know, that's just, 
it's up in the air. I mean, I'll just take Kansas State money line in that to round it out. So it looks like we're mostly in agreement. Obviously, we'll see what happens with Jalen Daniels' health in that Kansas and Oklahoma State game. But to round things out here, we've given you our Week 7 picks. Do you have a lock on this list that you look at and say, this is the one I'm rolling with no matter what? There's a couple I definitely think are consideration. West Virginia, Iowa State, BYU. Um, I think I feel most confident about West Virginia, uh, at, at, you know, with the two, that's a two-point favorite on the road against Houston. Mm-hmm. I mean, Houston's not good. That is That is the justification that's all you need for that i will take byu as my lock for that byu plus five i don't think tcu wins that game let alone covers by five man we are getting there slowly but surely and that being said to start the outro out here we want to say this thank you guys so much for all the support thank you guys for listening i apologize for you know making you hear this voice for 38 plus minutes when we get done with this but we made it through and next week we'll be better i don't have a wedding to go to this weekend so I'll be on the mend. But, Derek, last closing thoughts for you? Another great week of football. Um, you know, as I mentioned, we're, we're still trying to figure out uh, this madness that is the Big 12. Um, if you were not a Texas or Oklahoma fan, uh, this season's probably going to be extremely painful <laughs> for you. Um, but, you know, hey, maybe somebody else emerges this weekend. Um, I don't know who it's going to be, but. Still a lot of football to be played, so nothing's uh, set in stone, that's for sure. So there's still, you know, we're I, – also, I guess I want to say, too, Joe, I can't believe that we are now pretty much halfway done through the regular season. That seems – it seems like it that's just started crazy. yesterday. That is ridiculous to think about. That's nuts. But I will say, you said something in there I did like. I'll cheers to more football. I will absolutely cheers to more football and more stuff. We have no idea what's coming next, but we appreciate you guys being here alongside us on this journey. Thank you guys so much once again for listening to the Heartland After Dark podcast. We will talk to you here soon next week. Take care.